What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. That was a great dinner. So great. Wait, where'd you park the car? Oh, the one I just sold at Carvana. What? When did you do that? When you were still looking at the menu. I went on Carvana.com and all I had to do was enter the license plate or VIN, answer a few questions, and got a real offer in seconds. They picked up the car already? No, I parked around the corner. But they are picking it up tomorrow and paying me right on the spot. Oh, no wonder you picked up the check. Yeah, about that, uh... Thought we were going halfsies. Sell your car to Carvana. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get a real offer in seconds. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora. Always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 13, Episode 82. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks so much for being back with us here, Steelers Nation, on this uh, Monday. And I'm trying to get my, my bearings here. It's been a little while, Dave, since I've talked to you, but very glad to be back here on the podcast. Yeah, welcome back from uh, Mobile, if you will. And uh, sounds like you guys had a had a uh, fun time down there. Definitely missed uh, doing a couple of shows with you there. Had one dedicated to the salary cap. Then another one. Shout out to to Tom Mead on uh, on boy, is, was that been a week ago now? Monday, uh, kind of previewing you know the senior uh, the Shrine Shrine Bowl prospects and all like that. So uh, obviously didn't have a show on Friday. Big travel day for everybody that we sent off and uh, figured in time maybe take a little bit of break there. Not much. Not much happened overall, but uh, we'll make sure to make up for it today with an hour-long talk about uh, the Pro Bowl, correct? <laughs> yes, we are going to go in-depth into the gridiron gauntlet and the kick-tack-toe. And No, we're not going to do we'll, we'll touch on it here briefly. I did really enjoy, and the response seems to agree with your Wednesday solo podcast. It felt like an old-school 1980 comedy first special like dave live like that's the title of that <laughs> oh, podcast Lord. but i thought that was uh no seriously i thought you did a great job and i think the feedback people really enjoyed the dedicated episode to breaking down the salary cap i don't know we sure it didn't come off like one of those uh uh 50s or 60s uh 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 kind of uh uh, the, uh, the salary cap in you, <laughs> yeah, uh, some of those instructional, mm-hmm. uh, things that you have to sit through, through gym class or something like that. No, I didn't know how it would go, but, uh, you know, get a lot of questions about the salary cap and, you know, we obviously do try to hit on it at times, uh, during episodes of podcasts, but I, I tried to map it out and, kind of have some talking points because Lord knows I can ramble and stutter and all like that, but, uh, tried to keep it on track for about an hour's worth. And, uh, the feedback overall for those that lay and look, I was up front, uh, with it right from the start there, <laughs> you know, this is about the salary cap. It's about numbers. It's an hour. If you're not ready for that, hit the stop button right now. But, uh, listenership numbers were good. Got a lot of great feedback on it and appreciate that. But, uh, uh, I don't want to do too many solo po- podcasts going forward. I, I did learn that. 
All right, fair enough. Let's jump into real, here. Real, real quick, sure. uh, I don't know if you guys were trying to save my feelings or anything, but uh, I didn't see any mention of any Waffle House or anything uh, down there in Mobile. Were you guys just being kind to me, or is there <laughs> something you need to tell me? You know, actually, we did not go. Um, okay. It was such a busy week. We honestly did not go. I don't know if there was one super close. A lot of the restaurants we went to was just kind of more in downtown Mobile, kind of within walking distance. And so there was no we, we had gone last year. And, and so I think uh, we've had our Waffle House experience. You did the Veets, though, didn't you? I didn't personally, but I think Ross and Tyler and Jonathan went and they said it was a good time. That That's uh, the place to be when it comes to Senior Bowl. It's Feet's uh, Bar, which is right next to the, the main hotel there. Yeah, adult beverages and, and everything, right? Something like that. I didn't. I was not there. I did not partake. And so we'll have, um by the way, a roundtable discussions the rest of the week on Wednesday and Friday. Wednesday, we'll have the Shrine Bowl roundtable with the entire crew that was there and did an excellent job. And then Friday will be the Senior Bowl roundup with everybody who attended that event. And so we'll we'll recap that and get to hear from everybody there that was in person later in the week. So just a heads up on what the rest of the week is going to bring. All right. Uh, I look forward to that. Uh, learned a lot from both groups uh, while out of town. And uh, as is usually the case this time of year. I'm able to kind of, you know, I'm not fully caught up by no means and, and still be playing from behind the next couple of weeks here. But I was able to learn a lot uh, from the information that came out of both uh, Las Vegas and Mobile from the group. So certainly do appreciate uh, uh, the reporting we got on that. All right, Dave, let's talk about the Pro Bowl very briefly. And obviously this format is different and frankly, probably even more difficult to talk about and discuss considering there was no actual 11 on 11 game. There was a 7v7 flag football. I guess there were two games. There was one, they took a break and then came back and played the second NFC versus AFC. Kim Hayward uh, did not participate in that. Uh, It was just obviously 7v7. So Minka played in that uh, as a safety Uh, He was in Hayward was in some of the mini games and events that I think were generally uneventful. I guess the biggest question, because there isn't really anything to discuss or analyze anything like that is, did you enjoy the new format? Did you think it was an upgrade at the least over the old, you know, two hand touch football game they've been doing for the last five years? Right, uh, there were th- uh, a third. There was a third and final one as well, too. Was so there really? Yes. How many of these did they play? Yeah, there were there were three of them, and uh, it was kind of hard to c- kind of keep up with, and you know, due to you know some people still traveling and our, our schedule kind of being mixed up and some things hitting the internet to write about and all. I got to kind of, I didn't get to sit there and watch the whole thing. <laughs> Thank God, maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, look. Uh, you know, the, 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 the Pro Bowl is as as we have known it or as I grew up knowing it, maybe, you know, early portion of your life knowing it, uh, that that that's no more. You know, and I, I think it kind of came to an head came to a head uh, last year with that game that kind of prompted the change. And, you know, people hollering, well, they might as well go go ahead and put flags on. And uh, I thought, you know, from from what I saw of it, the flag football portion once they got into that first game about the, I guess, you know, uh, the second quarter of it uh, seemed to kind of take form. It seemed competitive. It seemed uh, uh, guys were giving it their all. They seemed to be enjoying it. Uh, So for what it was, at least that portion of the flag football, I thought, I mean, okay. I mean, it's, 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 it's obviously not, 
football, you know, uh, not 11 on 11, not what it was, you know, a decade ago and, and, and even further back than that. But I thought for what that was, it was okay. Some of the other stuff, uh, uh, the events that, 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 that took place. I mean, you had a water balloon toss in there. I mean, I guess the dodgeball from, from what I saw was okay. Uh, the, 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 the gridiron gauntlet, I, you know, it seemed to be a little bit of a cross from the old time superstars competitions back in the seventies to, to mixed in with flag football. Uh, you know, wh- wh- where do I come down on this? I mean, it, it is what it is, I guess, at this point. I guess the TV ratings will speak the loudest here, and I would imagine we will get those over the next 24 to 48 hours and all. So for what it was or is, I guess it's okay, but I, I am I am excited to see what more than anything what the ratings are on this. You know, I thought Cam Hayward came up with maybe a, a good idea as maybe an offshoot to this, you know, having some big guy – uh, flag football might be interesting. Some of these other events are just kind of time fillers, you know, sure. the, uh, the water balloon toss and good Lord. Well, I mean, what, uh, you know, I had tic-tac-toe with the specialist and yeah, that wasn't all that. And, but I, I guess this is, this is where we're at now. And I, you know, I guess better like it. Uh, uh, there will be some form of this, I guess, moving forward, who knows how they'll tinker tinker with this moving forward but i guess my main takeaway once again is you know for what it was or or is right now i i I guess it was okay it is the first iteration and you would expect as you just mentioned some tweaks and changes and tinkering to occur and hopefully to improve the product next year and beyond i think at least with the flag football game it's more honest we're not even going to try to put on airs and pretend this is an actual football game and just kind of watch these guys play two-hand touch and in full pads which is sort of silly and so at least it's like football it's more fun more laid back you kind of know what it is you can see players faces and reactions as opposed to them when they have helmets on and so was it better i don't know if it was better but at least it was more honest and i can appreciate that ratings it sounds like they're going to be pretty poor i don't know what sunday's ratings were obviously but during the week i was reading the ratings were pretty way down in terms of some of the other you know mini games and competitions and so I don't know if they're going to be terribly better for the actual event, probably a bit better, but um, unlikely to be the actual uh, Pro Bowl numbers of even last year. So, you know, I can appreciate the NFL trying something different and I'm all for that. Um, but to me, I had really no more interest in watching this than I did the actual quote unquote normal Pro Bowl. Right. And this was three hours on Sunday. Right. Uh, right. Uh, and you have the breaks in between the, the flag football games. What they probably need to do is they need to probably take the uh, the guts of the other competitions, you know, the, the, the gauntlet and the, and the dodgeball and and whatever else and and mash all that in between the flag. In other words, make it one one day, the Sunday, the three-hour-long spectacle, what, whatnot, so they can get their their advertisers in and 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 interviews and all like that. But but try to do it in one day because trying to string it out over several days like they did, you know, it, it just it, it, it. I don't think the ratings will be very good for it. I mean, if anything, maybe the Sunday ratings will be okay. But mm-hmm. anyway, this is where we're at right now, and. You know, the purists like me obviously don't like it. And 
Well, I, you know, new fans, probably not a big fan of it either. Overall, it would be more fun if they returned to some of the roots when they had actual competitions, whether that's 40 yard dash, the longest throw you were posting clips. I think yesterday of Cordell Stewart with the longest throw in the quarterback competition and the bench press and Larry Allen used to, to dominate those events. I suppose they're not doing that because of any sort of risk of injury in a bench press or a 40 yard dash, but that would actually, I think, get attention when you have a real competition, real bragging rights on the line to just kind of these fun, silly, you know, elementary games. But that would be my recommendation, although I think the league wants to reduce the risk, reduce the risk of injury in every way possible. Yeah, but I mean, even the old superstars, I mean, can't, can't you get these guys running some some relays and and obstacle courses? I mean, basically that that gridiron gauntlet is that. I mean, why not bring back aspects of the the old superstars and 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 mix it in that way? I, you know, swimming and I mean, they used to do a lot of different thing on that superstars uh, competition back in the seventies that that were that were entertaining. Now we're talking about wide world of sports, and they're able to pack it all in, you know, one hour <laughs> in, a, in an hour show with memory serves me there. But anyway, uh, we'll see what happens there. Hey, yeah. look, you want to talk about coming I mean, miles Garrett. What? I think the report is miles Garrett had a dislocated toe yesterday uh, in this thing. And I think Minka took a pretty, pretty, pretty decent smack to the head uh, mm. in here. And then you had uh, 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 Ramsey bodying up Tyreek Hill. And I thought it was cute that uh, Cam Hayward picked him up and cradled him <laughs> like, like a little baby. That might've been about the highlight to it, but uh Anyway, I'm I'm sure the, the the listeners now at this point are saying, okay, move on from the Pro Bowl discussion. So yeah, we will. Fair, fair point there. Let's talk about Brian Flores and some pretty key news came out on him Sunday evening, and in regards to really two, maybe three positions still um, up for the Arizona Cardinals head coaching job. The Denver Broncos have requested an interview with Brian Flores, and then uh, Minnesota Vikings have interviewed, I believe, Flores or at least requested. An interview and two key notes here is a floors will have a second interview with the Arizona Cardinals sometime this up this week right now um, later this week I should say the other finalists in Arizona appear to be Mike Kafka and Lou how do you say the last name and a room I believe it is uh, they're gonna have second interviews as well and so those appear to be the three finalists we weren't sure if floors was gonna have that second interview it had been a while since the first and so we know he's one of the final three. We know the ties to the new uh, GM, and, and those seem to be prevailing wins in his favor. Things have been kind of quiet on the floors, Arizona front. Now they're picking back up. In Minnesota, the report was uh, the Vikings were targeting two people, Flores and then Avero, who was the Broncos DC. He just got hired by the Carolina Panthers, which now seems to put Flores in pole position for Minnesota if the Arizona job does not work out. And again, he's still uh, a possibility in Denver where Vero is now gone. And now uh, Sean Payton, the head coach with the Broncos. And so I think the odds of Flores leaving just went up. It's really a question of where he's likely to go. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're kind of still in limbo here, right? You know, and, and, you know, because of the way some of these reports had surfaced over the last couple of days, it had seemed it was it was framed like there were only two serious candidates in Arizona, but uh, uh, Kafka and, and, and Amarillo, I guess. But you know, as of Sunday, it, it you know it's clear that 
uh, Flores is still not out of the running there. And, you know, we mentioned several times his, his longtime association with the, uh, uh, with Monty, the, uh, the new general manager there. So you have to think that he's still got a decent chance there. And then, you know, as you mentioned there with it's, you know, if you believe the reports in Minnesota, they were down to, to two candidates and one now has a job with the Carolina Panthers. So if, if indeed that is true and he, you know, then, then you would think that he would be the lone serious candidate for the Vikings defensive coordinator job. And maybe we'll have an answer to this by the time the Super Bowl gets played. I feel like we've been pushing the timeline back and back and back, just waiting because it's been a really long process for Man, the does NFL. It, let me interrupt. Does it feel <laughs> like, I mean, we're not even into to, to the Super Bowl yet. <laughs> you know, it, it does it feel like things are dry? I mean, uh, we're, we're, you know, we're still a month, more than a month away from the start of the new league year. It just, it feels like, I guess these last two weeks have kind of dragged. I don't know. They have. Well, I mean, you still have two teams that have not hired a head coach and you just finished the Shrine Bowl, just finished the Senior Bowl. The Combine is weeks away. Free agency is six weeks away. And you have Arizona and Indianapolis who have not hired a head coach, much less the rest of their coaching staffs. And what happens is, you know, for Flores in Minnesota, I can't see him taking that Minnesota job unless he knows the Arizona Cardinals will not offer. And he probably does not know that right now. He's about to have a second interview. And so... He's not going to accept the Vikings job, even if it was hypothetically on the table until he knows if he's in or out of Arizona. And so really the Cardinals are going to be the, the, the domino that has to fall before Flores maybe becomes a DC somewhere. That That's my read of the situation anyway. And so this thing just hinges on when Arizona makes a decision. Now Flores was down in Mobile, right? And yes. in, in, in Steelers colors, right? Yes. Okay. And, and, uh, as were a lot of other, other other Steelers personnel down there, and Mike Tomlin's always not shy about having his pic- picture took uh, d- down there as well, too. So once again, you know, may- maybe we'll have some clarity on this by by. You would think these teams would want to get this put to bed now, right? You would think, but I would have thought that before I, I left too, for the Senior Bowl. You know, I mean, the Colts are doing like round three interviews right now. And it, I, and I understand you want to sometimes I think the, the teams rush into decisions and hire guys too quickly. There's also a line when you sit there and say, what more is there to learn? you got to make a decision. Otherwise, you're going to be really playing catch up to the rest of the NFL. The teams that didn't change head coaches, the teams that have already hired head coaches. Um, it just feels like a really long, drawn-out process. Yeah, it seems like the Colts have something similar to The Bachelor going on with Ursay, right? <laughs> Honestly, um, yeah, it's pretty wild. So Flores, based on my read right now, and things can change. Of course, it's it's hard to see him. Le- it's hard to to see him stay in Pittsburgh. Um, if he doesn't go to Arizona, it feels like he's a really strong bet for Minnesota, and then Denver is in the mix as well and so it's unlikely to me right now the floor is, is with the Steelers next year but again we'll just have to to wait and see and Peter King had a little blurb in his uh, I guess Monday morning quarterback uh, article saying Sean Payton is wide open about his defensive staff and won't be in a hurry to fill it out he'll take his time to find a coordinator he thinks he'll mesh with he won't be afraid to this is an interesting phrasing here to pick a strong-minded, tough guy like Brian Flores, who he is scheduled to interview. So I don't know what you make of that phrasing. 
I just make of it as whoever the DC in, in Denver is going to be will have control over that defense. Peyton's going to run the offense. He's going to work with Russell Wilson. That's going to be the number one thing the franchise has to get right is to try to fix Wilson. Otherwise, their franchise and Peyton really has no chance of being able to, to right the ship to turn things around. And so whoever the DC is, is going to have full autonomy to run the defense how he sees fit. And that's where a Brian Flores could step in. Okay. And then in Minnesota, I know he's got a bit of a connection with Kevin O'Connell, the head coach. They were together in New England briefly back in, I think, 2008, 2009. Um, so we'll see. But again, because Flores is interviewing in Arizona, because he's going to wait for that job to be decided, if it's him or if it's not, Arizona is going to have to make a decision before Flores makes a decision on going to potentially Minnesota or Denver as a D.C. Okay. Uh, Kim Hayward had some griping on Twitter, um, I guess, while he was out out at the Pro Bowl about the NFL considering a rule change that and and maybe I'll be a little uh, imprecise with the the language here. But the the hip tackle or the hip hip drop, hip drop, hip drop. Okay, I'm not even sure how exactly you define that. Right. And I had, you know, that uh, I learned more, learned more about it than I never knew really that was a phrase. But obviously it comes from the rugby game. Uh, overall and, and apparently you know amazing how you know you you you, you cover this surf, surface stuff over the years that you don't you don't dive much in, into details until it really becomes kind of a story there and uh did a little bit of a research on it uh yesterday after you know, those those cam hayward uh comment or t- uh, tweets you know surfaced and all but uh the the uh the hip drop tackle uh, which got its name from the rugby game overall, was reportedly banned by the National Rug- Rugby League in Australia because of all the injuries that it caused. So uh, why is it back on kind of the, the uh, uh, in the mainstream right now? Well, you have, you know, during the playoffs, you had obviously the Patrick Mahomes uh, injury where he was taken uh, down that way. And really more, I guess, more notably a couple of games ago when you had uh, uh, Dallas Cowboys running back, Tony Pollard uh, dropped down or, or brought down via kind of a classic uh, hip drop tackle. And he, uh, you know, he broke his, broke his ankle or fibula or something on the play and, you know, got, got a long recovery ahead of him uh, because of that. So it sounds like according to multiple reports that, uh, the, the, the league's chief medical officer, at, uh, Dr. Alan Stills, said recently that the techniques used on a hip drop tackle in which your know, defensive player grabs the ball carrier from behind and then pulls them down while, while dropping the tackler's own body to the ground could be eliminated from the game. That will evidently be a conversation during the, uh, the offseason uh, meetings with the competition committee and and all like that. And, and uh, I, that, that, that wasn't well received, especially by a lot of defensive players, both past and present around the league. Uh, Cam Hayward being one of them. I know Richard Sherman's been very vocal on Twitter about it as well, too. You know, this kind of plays back to the old, you know, the kind of the horse collar thing and all like, you know, what do they want? What do they want these guys Mm -hmm. to do? You know, uh, you know, you already have the, and, and, you know, the horse collar and look, you know, you, you're talking about a very specific thing there, right? Grabbing around and bringing a guy down from way up top, the right. top, top of his body. Okay. Uh, but now we're talking about having to be more careful when you, when you grab 
basically a player around his waist, whether it be from, you know, specifically from behind there. Uh, what's after this? You know, it seems like a Pandora's box here and you open it and is there, is it going to, you know, some guy's going to get hurt every year by a certain, certain type of tackle. And then all, are we all of a sudden going to be discussing that needing to be illegal? I mean, the defense already is at a, it seems at a, at a big disadvantage in today's NFL anyways. And now you're going to, now you're going to, to potentially, you know, take away a, a tackle around the waist. Right. I get the frustration. It's as you said, what do you want these guys to do? It's already so hard to play defense just in general before even considering the rule changes and how offensively friendly the NFL has become over the last decade or two. I mean, you're trying to tackle Tony Pollard with his great speed and, and ability, trying to tackle Patrick Mahomes, just trying to make a play. Um, what more do you want these guys to do? I mean, what's the penalty going to be? A legal tackle? You grab the guy around the waist and, and drop your body weight? That's called a tackle. If you, if you grab a guy around your waist and then go to the ground, that is a tackle. And there's no, I don't see any malicious intent with this hip drop no. tackle. It's not like a hit to the head for, for a defenseless player or, or on a quarterback, anything like that. Um, it's just a guy trying to make a tackle from behind. And you keep putting all these restrictions up. I mean, I, I totally get the frustration there. So unfortunately, given how seemingly strongly the NFL is talking about the injury here and the need to look at changing this, my guess is it probably will be changed in some regard, if not completely uh, eliminated and, and made a penalty this offseason by the NFL, by the competition committee. And well, that's then, gonna be a, yeah, uh, this will definitely be a talking point, you know, and, and, and until these league meetings get along. I got an idea, Alex. How about let's uh, let's let's focus on these concussions a little bit more first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, because there was a report, I think, day or two ago about how concussions uh, wound up being, I, th I think, back up around around the league and all like that. Mm -hmm. how, how about how about let's get that that aspect of the game taken care of first now? Right. But whenever I see Dr. Adlin Sills have the quote here, it says, I think it'll be a very active offseason conversation to look at the mechanism that tells me they're changing it. I mean, you don't have that language from the the top medical expert of the NFL, rightly or wrongly, whether you agree with it or not. And I don't really agree with the idea of changing it. But when when they say something like that, that in, in that pretty strong terms, to me, that means something, some change is coming. Man, you can't even sack the quarterback these days. You got the horse collar in play. You can't bump receivers past five yards. <laughs> oh, I, I understand why guys like Cam Hayward are upset. Absolutely. And so, you know, what, what tackling can you do? I think what Seattle's taught over the years, the Hawk tackle, the wrap and roll tackle might be the best way to go about it until that player gets hurt. And then they're going to change it again. So I understand player protection. And listen, I think for me, when it comes to head injuries, concussions, I will err on the side of caution and I will give the NFL a ton of leeway. And even if I get frustrated by some of these calls, sometimes I'm all for, you know, being more conservative and, and, and tweaking the rules and protecting these players as much as humanly possible when it comes to anything concussion or head injury related. I'm 100% for that. Everything else, though, I, I, I start to really get frustrated by because we're not talking. I mean, obviously, no, you don't want anyone to get injured and, and, and players deal with injuries and, and they can affect them for the rest of their lives. But um, if it's an ankle injury, I mean, it that I chalk that up to football. A head injury, I don't chalk that up to just being that's part of football. I want to try to do my very best to remove those, those injuries, those moments from the game as much as humanly possible with this stuff though. 
I do just chalk it up to that's that's the price of admission of playing this game. And yet we still don't uh, we we still using two sticks in a chain. <laughs> <laughs> despite there being a chip in the football and we're using index cards at times to measure for first downs. I mean, what is this? If this becomes illegal, is this going to be like a 15 yard penalty? What's I I would imagine it'd be something along the lines of the horse collar, right? I guess. Yeah. It's going to be an illegal tackle. It's going to be, it would have to be a 15 yard penalty automatic first down. I mean, can you imagine that happening? Somebody just trying to chase a player from behind and, and tackle him like that. And you just go down and they're going to call this stuff. In a in the fourth quarter of a game that's super tight against Baltimore, I mean, I then, but I think it's going to happen. Fi- then be a fine for it yeah, too. Yeah, you know? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, so I'm with Cam Haywood 100 percent here. All right, well we'll keep people abreast of that as it moves along into the off season here. Dave, I want to kind of backtrack to something that happened a week ago. Actually, I guess two weeks ago, but to the general Twitterverse internet public about a week ago was uh, Ben Roethlisberger had his live edition of the football in football in, excuse me, uh, podcast. This would have been, I guess, two weeks ago that was held live. I'm not even sure where some somewhere in downtown Pittsburgh. It had him and Bob Pompiani and Andrew McCutcheon, uh, uh, Pat Frymuth as well. And of course, for our purposes, we only really cared about what Pat Frymuth had to say. And he had certainly a pretty interesting quote there was talking about the differences between going from, you know, last year playing with a veteran like Ben Roethlisberger to this year with transition to Mitch Trubisky and particularly to, of course, a rookie in Kenny Pickett. And let me uh, pull up the quote here if I can find it. I want to make sure that I have the um, actual quote. was asked about kind of just the changes and differences going from veteran to, to rookie. And Firemuth said, quote, I tell Kenny this all the time. It's so different because we didn't have hots with you. How many times did we have a concept and you looked at Deontay Johnson and gave a signal and it would be a 12-yard completion? We didn't have that this year, and quote on that particular uh, portion. And so Fryer with essentially saying Pittsburgh's Eagles offense this year did not have hot routes. Well, that explains a lot of stuff. Uh, explains a couple of them sacks that you, I think you broke down, and I think you took even a little bit of heat from, from former players on it as well, too. But uh uh, you know, in, in the end, I think you had read it right. You know, the way they had done some some protections. Look, and you started the season too with a veteran quarterback and uh, a guy that 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 in Mitch Trubisky that had you know had experience looking across and and recognizing defenses on the other side. You can't tell me that you couldn't have hots in there for him. Uh, and okay, maybe first three games of the season, or you know, maybe maybe once Mitch or not Mitch, uh, Kenny takes over uh, up until the bye week. May, maybe I can I can have that shoved down my throat a, a little bit there. With uh, we don't want him to do too much uh, here. Just run the offense, run the play that's called and all. But then you get into the bye week, and then past the bye week from there. I mean, come on, uh, you, 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 you can't work out some, some simple hot reads for what Kenny sees across from you. And, and, you know, as we seen tight where, you know, that's where our slant slants went, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Uh, that's where our slants went. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it, and it, it, it's more ammunition for the, uh, for the, for the anti Matt Canada crowd. And it's just, it, 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 and I believe, I believe Pat Farmuth. I mean, there's no reason for that to come out kind of unprovoked like that to, to not believe what he said, but 
I tell you what, they better get that portion of it straight because uh, they will they will need that. Every offense needs that moving forward with today's NFL and the disguising and and uh, and look as good as defenses like like to try try to disguise things. You know, probably seven times out of ten, they still tip things off. And a good quarterback that does the film film work ahead of time uh, should be able to recognize some stuff and. Because of that, be able to tug on the old uh, face mask, or or mm-hmm. be 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 able to tap his hip, or uh, Omaha, or whatever, and and change something last minute at the line of scrimmage to, hey, uh, you run a slant, you know, and I'll hit you in the second window. So uh, once again, you know, just more ammunition uh, against. The, the things that happened offensively uh, last year and really specifically some of these situations that ended up in, in, in Kenny Pickett nearly getting his head taken off. Yeah, you could feel that. Uh, we talked about that on tape throughout the year where they didn't have good answers. They lacked hots. And I'm trying to be as charitable as possible in, in interpreting these comments. And you have to think there, there was some sort of plan to, against the blitz, but at the least what, Frymuth is referring to because he kind of talked about that is the signals Ben would give the grabbing the face mask, tapping his helmet, um, some sort of, you know, nonverbal cue to adjust the route at the last second based on what you're seeing pre-snap. And that certainly sounds like it was not part of the offense this year. Maybe there were some other things. They had to have had some sort of system against blitzes and blitz looks. I don't know. You, you have to think to some degree, but certainly to a lesser degree, and I understand, obviously, you go from Ben to Trubisky and especially Kenny Pickett. You're not going to run the same offense. That quarterback's not going to have the same level of freedom, autonomy, trust. Not going to put as much on his plate, of course. But, man, Dave, if you're the franchise quarterback, if you're the first-round guy, if you're considered to be the most pro-ready guy out of the box, you know, ready to go right away, given the nod in week four, trusting him and, and Kenny Pickett, how do you not have those things built in? There are hand signals. We're not talking about the most complicated thing in the world here. And if, if you can't trust Kenny Pickett to give a simple hand signal to a receiver, then I don't know how you deem this guy the franchise guy. And so that just seems to be very inconsistent based on what they drafted Pickett to be and why they drafted Pickett as the guy when they had to pick up any quarterback in this class and how they didn't put full trust and 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 gave him some basic stuff that every offense should have at this level, especially when you're facing Baltimore and Cincinnati can be aggressive and Cleveland can show some different looks and all the other defenses you played throughout the year. So um, again, understanding this offense is not going to be the same level of complexity. The quarterback was not going to have the same level of freedom, but this is just basic stuff. And coaching is all about putting players in the best position to win, to succeed and failing to have the most basic hot routes and checks and nonverbal cues like that is not putting anyone in position to win or succeed. Well, once again, like I said, if you if you want to if you want to force this to me up until the bye week uh, with 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 Kenny specifically, uh, and I'll take a spoonful of sugar and maybe the medicine will go down. But uh, you get into the second half of the half of the season there. What, what the hell did you use the bye week for other than <laughs> a, than evidently a Matt Canada pep talk? You know, uh, that, you know, and look, I mean, a lot of players talk about that bye week as, as a big turning point, right. You know, they, sure. uh, what, uh, uh, Claypool was out of the room at that point and, uh, sounded, sounded like, you know, whatever Matt Canada said during that time was, was, uh, 
uh, you know, had, had some sort of impact in there. But but uh, look, if this was Mitch Trubisky coming out of college, what did he start one year? Yeah, it was a one year starter at North Carolina. OK, maybe that's even fathomable if if that had been a situation. But how many games did Kenny Pickett play in college? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was there for five years. He was what a, I don't know, four year starter. All right. And once again, to reemphasize what you said, you know, all, all, all we heard was most pro ready quarterback in, the, uh, in, 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 in last year's draft was, uh, was Kenny Pickett. So yeah. And, and, you know, I'll just end it back with this. I mean, it's, it's more ammunition for the, uh, for the, uh, uh, get rid of Matt Canada crowd. Don't, don't keep them all like that. I, I'll tell you that. And look, we, we, all that milk spilled and wiped up and Art Rooney's talked about it and nothing that anybody says at this point is going to get Matt Canada, Canada run out of run out of Pittsburgh this off season. But that, that stuff needs to change this off season, you know, and, and, you know, I know Kenny's getting uh, supposedly going to get these guys together quite a bit down in Florida and, and work out there. And, but, uh, and you can bet come, First, next time Matt Canada gets in in front of a microphone uh, with with media, that should be the first question that he's asked. You know, and well, it's going to be a while till we hear from him, probably. Sure. And he's not yeah. going to say anything anyway. He's going right. to just, but, and, but, but you should ask the question absolutely. Right, and the next time Kenny gets in front of a microphone, you know, uh, same thing. And you would think, I don't know, we got Super Bowl week coming up here. Who knows who's going to do what during during uh, during media row week and all like that. Uh, Kenny Pickett might show up on the radio here, <laughs> you know, in this next week and all, but you know, hey, hey, hey. all right, fix it. Yeah. And, and obviously you would expect this offense to progress and evolve and, you know, Pickett to have more on his plate next year as being the obvious clear cut starter from day one, the whole off season program as the starter, whole training camp as the starter, et cetera. So they're going to build upon that. And certainly you would expect, you know, to have more freedom, and uh, a bit more openness with the offense. But again, I, I guess, guess I guess the pushback on this would be, mm-hmm. well, look, look what they did after the bye week, you know? Okay. That uh, <laughs> the, re- the result though, still don't, uh, you still can't look past the error, right? It's yeah, it's process. It's process. Right. And, and it's just poor process. And I, and, and my thought is maybe that were, makes they, a difference in the Ravens game, you know? Absolutely. I, and, I mean, yeah. Or the game where Pickett, Got hurt in that first one, uh, which is the one you're, refer- you're referring to. There was a situation where you had free blitzer, ball needs to be hot and just not planned well, and the Ravens uh, cover it well, and, and Pickett gets concussed and, and leaves the game. And so your quarterback gets concussed because of a lack of good hot routes in that game. And so my thought of, of why this wasn't in the offense, obviously beyond just the going from a veteran like Ben to a rookie like Pickett, is they wanted to be as risk adverse as possible. They didn't want to have any chance of, of miscommunication. Somebody doesn't see a signal, gets the wrong wrong, wrong signal, um, leads to an incompletion, leads to a pick. They wanted to reduce risk in every way possible. But I would counter that by saying, whenever you don't have hots, you increase the risk of sacks and negative plays and forced fumbles. And those things happen on tape. We saw it routinely. And so the, by not having hots, you're increasing risk by increasing the chance of negative plays against the blitz and really impacting and hurting your rookie quarterback who needs that help. And and again, Pickett's a really smart guy, really sharp guy, pro ready. You, you trusted him to, to run this offense a month into the season. You got to trust him to do some very basic things that all quarterbacks need to have. So the Duck Hodges treatment, right? 
of how they treated Pickett. Yeah, it's basically what they did. I mean, obviously, they you know, post by they ran the heck out of the football as much as they could. And I'm not mad at that. And again, the results speak for themselves. They were seven and two. They played ball control offense, number one offense on third down. I mean, those things work, but it just, you know, in specific situations, Bengals game, uh, Ravens game in particular, there were blitzes off the edge, those cat, those corner blitzes that you know, you didn't respond well to and going back on tape, you sit there and say, oh, yeah, now I see why they sucked against those looks because they had zero hot reads. There were zero nonverbal cues that Pickett could give even just it's simple stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. Pickett can do this. This is not rocket science. It's, it's a it's a one route signal to one guy. It's not trying to call a new play or, you know, change the protection entirely at the last second. It's subtle stuff that you have to trust Pickett to be able to do. Right, exactly. And uh, this is more ammunition for what we've said, you know, going to get a hopefully get a more truer evaluation of Kenny Pickett six or seven games into the second season. Yeah, Uh, assuming they uh, they they give him some more uh, autonomy and they better if they don't, then what are you even doing? You know, you can't call Pickett this your guy and, 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 and praise him so much about how he stepped up in the moments and playing beyond his years and not playing like a rookie and then not have these basic, you know, hot routes not built into your offense. But that's the commentary there. Certainly stirred up a lot of controversy and understandably so. Yeah, it feels like it happened three weeks ago, but it almost did because we haven't had time to had had a show to talk about it. Right. Um, all right, Dave, let's talk about uh, where I was at last week down in Mobile, Alabama for the 2023 Senior Bowl 74th edition, and it was a great time. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, of course, well represented there. I will say in recent years, just NFL league-wide, there's been less of an NFL presence and the media is more um, separated from the teams, which kind of sucks. But you don't see the all the faces, all the big wigs that you're used to. But the Pittsburgh Steelers' presence remains extremely strong, probably stronger or as strong as any team in the NFL. Mike Comlin was there. Omar Khan was there. Andy Weidel was there. Uh, many of the scouts were there. Brian Flores was there. Didn't see a lot of actual positional coaches or, or coordinators, really just Flores. Um, but Pittsburgh, well represented. And uh, my terrible take today is find someone who loves the Senior Bowl as, or find someone uh, who loves you as much as Mike Tomlin loves the Senior Bowl because this guy just loves being right near the action. And that guy loves the process, doesn't he? We've How he many does. times have we said that over the years and all? Uh, uh, objectively, the Steers had the biggest presence there. Well, I don't have that as a, I can't quantify that, and I don't. I know the Giants uh, were pretty well represented as well. Dable was there. Uh, Wink Martindale was there, but generally, I didn't see many head coaches or GMs that I could identify. Again, there's a separation, so some guys might be in the press box that I can't see. But based on my read of it, I mean, I didn't see any other team that brought their head coach, their GM, and their assistant GM, the way the Steelers did. Why, why Why? do you think there's less presence there than, and you've gone to this now, what? F- is that five years in a row? How many, how many years uh, in a row? Well, I missed the COVID year. I've probably been there six or seven times total. I started going like eight years ago, so I've been I've been there for a while. Why, why do you think NFL presence is down? You know, it's a really good question. There was a good article by Neil Stratton of Inside the League I was reading uh, before I caught my flight back home. It kind of went through some of the reasons, and I think there's some other NFL meetings and functions around this time. And um, I don't know if COVID kind of had something to do with that, where his teams kind of work more remotely. They just kind of shift and stay in that mode and not have to do do the travel. 
I, I don't have a great answer for you because I think there's so much value in actually going and, and watching these guys live with your own two eyes and hearing the sounds and watching guys respond to coaching and, and how they carry themselves on the sideline, how they talk, are they leaders? Um, you know, obviously the meetings themselves are important to get to know these people, especially for coaches that are just kind of getting in the draft boat as they transition out of their regular season or you know, playoff uh, seasons ending. And so I really don't have a good answer for you. I just think it, I, I really don't know why uh, that is. How was the uh, numbers otherwise? Did it feel like a, a, a smaller crowd covering it this year or no? Well, Jim Nagy, who runs the Senior Bowl, said they had their highest number of credential media ever at, I think, over 1,100. Uh, he said the number was. I don't know how many actually attended. So I would say that it was pretty crowded. Again, the way the Senior Bowl set up, it used to be kind of everybody intermingled. The, the scouts and the coaches would kind of basically be around the same area as the media. And now there's a pretty big separation there. And so it's kind of been sanitized and not as intimate as it used to be. Um, but the media presence was still, you know, pretty heavy to me. It's still the marquee event to go to. Right. And they still put, keep the measurements behind doors and all like that. Right. Well, yeah, it used to be, you, you would, you would go there publicly and you'd be right there next to every coach and every scout in the big, uh, ballroom where they would do the weigh-ins and now those things are all closed off and they just give you the numbers later, which is fine. Uh, it's not a big deal to me, but that's another example of them kind of changing things under this new leadership. But as far as the process goes and the practices, those still look uh, normal. And, uh, you know, you look at all the all 22 shots from from the practices. I mean, there, there's still a lot of information to gather there uh, as far. And look, the, the game this year ended up being uh, I thought the game was a lot more exciting. It was a lot better than the Shrine Bowl game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no 12-3 here. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, the the. The access actually was better this year than last year, just in terms of us getting to have more, to have more access to talk to players in, in, in the media day. And so that was good. The coaching stats were different. As we talked about before we left, uh, Grady, you know, it used to be you just have teams going. So it'd be the, the Jets coaching staff and the Falcons coaching staff, and all their coaches would go. This year it was all piecemealed. And so the Steelers had two coaches down there, Grady Brown, the uh, national team defensive coordinator, and Denzel Martin, who was the national team's linebackers coach and I actually thought that was pretty cool um because what what it was what's helpful there is you kind of get that extra insight so now and I saw this on the field at one point Omar Khan during kind of a lull in practice talked to Grady Brown and they and, and Grady wrote something down they kind of walked away but you have that insight now where Grady Brown and Martin can kind of go back to the coaching staff and go back to Tomlin Khan and Weidel and say you know, I got to see these guys up close and personal got to be in meetings got to lead these guys we have special insight we otherwise wouldn't have had unless we were the one of two teams selected to coach this thing. So I think it was actually a pretty cool thing that the senior bowl did this year. Okay. Uh, now, obviously we're going to have a round table with all the guys uh, uh, on, I believe on the Friday show. So we're not going to get too terribly deep into this, but you know, what are some, what were some of your main takeaways, uh, you know, kind, kind of Steeler related. Do you, did, did you get to feel that, this team's very, very interested in 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 players in the trench uh, coming away from this. I did. Uh, I think certainly Tomlin, Khan really had their eyes on on O line, D line, and some of the edge guys. And I do think a part of that is just because it's naturally more fun to watch O line, D line, and full contact one v one drills than watch seven on seven. Just not that exciting if you have a choice between the two. Uh, but I think it certainly speaks to an area of obvious need for the Steelers, especially D-line, but offensive line 
a, a talking point as well. Edge depth, certainly to me, a pretty big need and, and really kind of shows where this team's focus was at. You know, last year, Tomlin's right next to the quarterbacks, watching all those guys the entire week in the rain, getting up close and personal with the quarterbacks. Lo and behold, the draft a quarterback in the first round, Ken Pickett, who was in Mobile this year. Signs indicate offensive line, defensive line, edge, uh, this team's focus. Now, after practices, it'd take for take quite a while for the all 22 to get uh, get uploaded and all from the practices. Did you guys have kind of more instant access to it? Did you all gather downstairs? I know in the past you were able to do that. Kind of what was your process uh, after practice? Did you have that kind of instant access to the all 22? No, we get it whenever it's just out there as it gets okay. uploaded. And so, and, and as it, there used to be rooms, we could go watch it. Those are now gone. Again, some of the things that have changed over the years from the senior bowl. So frankly, I've gotten to see some of the all 22, but not a ton because that stuff would come out late and I'm writing right. up interviews and, and that kind of stuff. So honestly, you probably have seen more of the all 22 in terms of the senior bowl footage than I have, but obviously getting to see these guys up close and personal and watching different position groups each day. You know, you felt pretty good about the evaluation of the guys that I personally watched. Okay. Now, because of our process and having to cover the Steelers, we get a late start on this and you have to do uh, uh, a big, big cram job uh, during, you know, about the week before you go down there, try to watch and learn about as many of these players uh, as you can. Uh, you, uh, uh, before you left, had, 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 had identified Kiana Benton out of Wisconsin, a defensive lineman that you thought that the Steelers could you know, have, uh, have some serious interest in during the pre-draft process. Uh, it seemed at least early on that, 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 that was the case. And really that first practice, it seemed at least to me, not in mobile from, from, from cutups and, and, and the all 22 that I saw that, that, uh, Kiana Benton out of shoot had a good day. And then he kind of tailed off so to speak, from that, but he did have a, a, a flurry or two of plays in the actual game. Uh, having from where you were just just a couple of weeks ago, and and you have a great video on YouTube about Benton, and and you obviously wrote about him right out of the shoot. Where are you now on Kiana Kiana Benton? Now, as where you from where you were a couple of weeks ago. I'm generally still of the same mindset, and definitely if there was one name Steeler fans got pretty familiar with exiting Senior Bowl week, it is Keanu Benton from Wisconsin, and I'm still thinking, and, and Benton straight up told myself and Jonathan Heitritter and everybody who interviewed him was, uh, you know, Mike Tomlin was talking to him and said that he's uh, told Benton that, that he's squarely on their radar, and that makes sense just because of the body type. Now, I do want to caution to an extent, and you know, Benton is not this slam dunk first round guy that has no flaws. I think there are some issues in his game, and I don't want to get, I don't want to overhype him too much. Although I feel like he's probably already kind of gotten to that point. I think he's not going to be this, you know, high octane type pass rusher who's going to get, you know, six seven sacks per year. He's not Javon Hargrave. He's not Cam Hayward. Some of the foot speed issues and trying to be um, more consistent with his bull rush and creating power and pushing the pocket and just being a more consistent player down to down overall, especially as the pass rusher is going to be key for him. But just from a body type measurable standpoint, um, he does have, you know, quickness to, to win off the line and, and win some of these one V one drills and, um, you know, strong against the run plays with good pad level. And just again, trying to find the guys that are, you know, six, four, 300 plus pounds, 33 plus inch arms along the D line. It is hard to find those types. And, um, Benton is one of those guys and to come from Wisconsin, 
a, a pro style type system, good coaching under uh, Jim Leonard. Those things are all going to be attractive, attractive to Pittsburgh. And, and that's why I think there's a, a good chance he's going to be uh, on this team's radar come day two. Okay. And once again, at no point, I, I don't think that, that you wrote or said in the video that this guy is a, is, is, is a slam dunk first round guy, number 17. Uh, overall type type material is that firmly where you're at right now this is probably not a guy at 17 though right yeah not at 17 i think it's certainly day two and i think they could take him a bit earlier than later because it is so rare to find that body type that you you don't want to miss out on that guy because if you do 32 i think it's possible and i think 49 is where most people would kind of more comfortably put him at but Remember with Isaiah Latimer, this team traded up pretty aggressively to get mm-hmm. him because they sat there and said, you know, we can't find money guys who even kind of look like him. And we, we didn't have the the fifth round pick or whatever it was that you know, we had to make a move to go get him. So I think the philosophy has to be get that guy sooner than later. Don't take the chance of of waiting because there isn't really a good plan B. Now, there is a guy we should talk about as well. And I think Jonathan will probably talk about him more on Friday. But Zach Pickens from. Uh, South Carolina, who has a very similar body type, we should talk about some who kind of fits that mold in terms of height, weight, length, that's attracted to Pittsburgh. And he had a decent week down in Mobile as well. So I don't want to be so all in and so hyper focused right. on Benton that you kind of, you know, forget about other guys and, and, and potential flaws in Benton's game. But again, just body type, fit, style, scheme, uh, trench philosophy that Andy Weidel is going to bring to this team. You know, Benton's still as strong a fit as ever in terms of potentially becoming a Steeler in April. Okay, another guy I have circled, and this will make for a better, deeper discussion later in the week, but this uh, uh, Adebowar out of Northwestern, what a guy. <laughs> uh, he really flashed, it seemed like, throughout the week, but uh, but from a measurable standpoint, 601 and 5'8", 284. Uh, does it technically f- uh, fit from a, a, a measurable standpoint uh, but uh, this is also a guy that that moves up and down the offensive line and can can stand on his feet on the edge. And uh, yeah, there's going to be a, a big discussion as we get further on into the offseason, maybe not so much about the Steelers, but what this guy is, because there's no doubt he can get after the passer, right? Yeah, for 284, I think just how well he moves, ability to bend the edge. He had a couple of uh, good reps that I had, but to your point, kind of where do you play him? What is he? You know, is he a three tech? I guess it's kind of try to penetrate and get up field. I mean, is he? Could you play him on the edge? You know, what what do you do with him? Is going to be the question. But I mean, he had a uh, right. He had a good week, right? Yeah, I know the one day that I saw him, I saw a little bit of good. Um, I, I only focus on the edge guys the one day of practice, but I think from what the other guys saw the other days, um, he was pretty strong. And you guys rotated groups around that you're watching. Ex- explain that. Right. Yeah, the way we did the, the practice was there were four of us there, uh, myself, Jonathan Hytrader, Tyler Wise, Ross McCorkle. And if you try to see everything at the practice, you, right. you generally see, see nothing. nothing. And so we kind of broke it up to the first day I watched just the defensive backs and I watched the edge guys and, and defensive linemen, offensive linemen. Then I watched the uh, wide receivers on the final day and the other guys picked other positions of obvious interest for Pittsburgh, whether they're talking off ball linebacker, cornerback that kind of stuff. And so um, that's how we broke up the reports to kind of make it more honed in as opposed to just trying to watch practice, generally speaking, where notes might overlap and you kind of just see everything, which doesn't really give you a good consistent view into one player's day. 
All right. The next guy I want to talk about uh, out of North Dakota State, Cody, <laughs> Cody Mock. Uh, I'm not I'm not a fan of using the term. This guy's flying up the draft board mm-hmm. uh, because uh, teams know already know a ton more than what we know about about a player. Maybe in a sense that he flies up uh, us YouTube scout draft boards uh in a sense might, might be the more appropriate thing and and i knew just enough that i was not even dangerous about cody mock before the senior ball but uh, i did pay attention to him a lot during the senior ball week and and man uh, what what more i mean you got a guy that that that, that played a lot of tackle right at, at north dakota state he comes down to the senior ball and you know really spends most of his time i think at, at guard and left guard specifically but did see some snaps at center he looked very natural uh at guard from what I have seen. And then you fast forward to what looked like four good practices all strung together there. Uh, you fast forward to the game. And I know for a fact that he played three positions in, 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 in the senior bowl. And I think that the TV said five, he played all five of them. I know for a fact he played left guard center and right tackle during the game. Now the, uh, I haven't gone back to rewatch, but they said he played all five spots. Uh, this guy really, really represented himself. Well, and he's not going to be, I don't think first round material or anything like that, but is this a guy that should be on the Steelers radar from anywhere from, you know, I guess the, you know, uh, number 32 on, on through, you know, the next few rounds there. I think so. And I just love seeing a guy compete the way that he competed in the hold his own to move around like that. These guys all get flipped. And I was talking to Jalen Duncan after one practice left tackle in Maryland, trying to play a right tackle. And he talked about you know, during practice that day, and he talked about kind of the difficulty and the adversity of trying to deal with that. And it's tough for all these guys, but for mock to be moved around, as you said, literally played all five positions, if not during the game, then definitely throughout the week and to hold his own, um, to show the physicality and, and not be over his head and have some decent snaps overall at center, even um, to have a guy that embraces that and, and holds his own in that regard is really impressive. So, so just to see a guy that, that that competes like that, that takes on the challenge and I think kind of thrives in that chaos. Um, I can't imagine how tough that is to play new positions as you're trying to pick up a new playbook, new coaching staff, new style in the biggest job interview you've ever had. I think that's really impressive overall. Uh, who else interior wise, you know, really seems like a Pittsburgh Steeler coming out? Yeah, I think generally the, the O-line across the board was really impressive down here. It might have been my favorite and one of the best position groups overall in Mobile. I think a John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota is a really interesting guy. Had a good week down in Mobile. He's big. He's strong. He's athletic. There was one, I think it was during the Wednesday practice on a screen late in team session. He gets out there and and pancakes uh, the linebacker, Marte Mapu from Sacramento State, who had a really good week down in Mobile as well. And just seeing some of those traits overall. And he's a guy that, that played center mostly, I think, in Minnesota, played center mostly this week. But he's got size that I think can, can put him at guard as well. He's not a small center. And he's athletic. He's strong with a really good anchor and pass protection. So um, that's a guy, again, early day two that would be on my radar. Okay. Uh 
off the ball line, inside linebackers in the Steelers system. A good group, it seemed like, uh, uh, down there. Uh, Pace out of Minnesota, one of them. Uh, the kid out of, uh, what, Washington, right, was was another one. Looked really might be a little undersized as far mm-hmm. as the weight goes uh, for, for what the Steelers look for, but seemed to might maybe, quite honestly, the best coverage linebacker that was there off the ball. And uh, Pace really showed some physicality throughout the week. I mean, that that, that it seems like a pretty decent group of uh, uh, off the ball that were down there. Yeah, it was a fun group. You know, Pace undersized as well, about 5'10 and a half, I want to say, but super rocked up. There's like a huge lower half, big quads and thighs and productive. You know, Miami, Ohio transferred to Cincinnati, um, you know, played off ball and was really doing well in some of those, you know, backs on backers drills. His ability to, to, to blitz and get after the quarterback kind of his calling card and, and did that. Well, I didn't watch a ton of Henley, but I think that he had a, a good week, generally speaking. I thought Mapu from Sacramento State, who was kind of a nickel back there, uh, played NFL PA Bowl, got the call up just days before the senior bowl kicked off, um, did a great job of getting depth and making plays on the ball and coverage, had two breakups in practice the one day. I thought Aubrey Miller from Jackson State. I mean, you know, last year it was James Houston, who had that great second after the season from Jackson State with Detroit and picked up like seven or eight sacks. And Miller is not that type of player. He's more off ball, but super physical. I mean, this dude forced like two fumbles during practices, which, you know, getting one is an, is an accomplishment in itself. And he's just active, takes good angles, was available, had a lot of reps the final day because there were a lot of injuries at off-ball linebacker. And so that's a guy that uh, Missouri transfer um, put up big numbers at, at Jackson State. And I just really, really liked watching that guy play. Um, and then even Isaiah Land, who's playing some off-ball linebacker in the game. He was an edge guy at Florida A&M, um, really good guy to talk to with, with really interesting size. Okay, I got it mixed up there. Miller was the is the one that was a little light in the pants at two twenty nine, and Henley out of Washington State right there at two thirty, which is uh, and and six foot uh, and seven eighths. Uh, but Henley uh, is the one I didn't know anything about him before Senior Bowl, Bowl week, but I learned a lot about him. And once again, Pace out of out of Cincinnati uh, really really showed that uh, that he belonged down there as well too. Uh, what about the tackles? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Darnell Wright took his lumps and had some good battles with Will McDonald. Uh, there were days when McDonald kind of won, and I thought Wright responded better the next day. Um, you had Bergeron from Syracuse, so I thought it was a little up and down as well. Let me just look at the other list of names here. Jalen Duncan, I think, has good pop out of his stance and, and good punch. I thought he's a guy that, that, you know, something to work with there. He's got some Steelers background. Matt Canada was there in Maryland early on in his, uh, college career talked to him a little bit about about uh pittsburgh um what else is there i'm just trying to the oklahoma kid why wasn't there more talk about him yeah that's a good question that morris is that who you're talking about why Wanya i'm trying morris? to find yes 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 yeah i didn't end up having a lot of notes on him but i think he had a couple of, of good reps in 1v1 i kind of saw some clips on twitter looking back so uh, that's a good point there one guy he gives kind of a bit more interior, but Tyler Steen from Alabama, good size, good length, and just really strong, good anchor. Um, and, and also have to give a shout out to UT Chattanooga's Clendon McCurtis, a guy that I knew essentially nothing about, but great size, um, decently athletic and got a really good push and can climb to the second level. So I thought, again, offensive line, probably a bit more to me, the interior guys in terms of just who was down in the mobile, more impressive than the tackle. Some of the top tackles, obviously not eligible or not participating, did not go. 
Um, but the interior offensive line class in Mobile, I thought was really a strength of the of the entire unit, entire group overall. Dewan Jones is a mountain of a man, and 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 it's too bad that he, you know, uh, got got a little dinged up down there. Yeah, some people think he just kind of was a, you know, one good practice. That's all I had to show the scouts, and then I'm gonna just kind of call it a day. He was down there, so I don't know what the story is on him, but obviously the size, the elite wingspan, some of the weight numbers are just just off the charts. Is he a first rounder? Yeah, there's a decent chance of that. I mean, you know, this is teammate. Paris Johnson, and you know we'll have to kind of see how these guys all settle in, but probably one of the the top prospects down there, and, and probably it's him, Torrance. Who you know, Torrance is a guy in Florida that that's you know big, strong, huge lower half. Just worry about him sliding laterally, mirroring in the pass game. I think some, some question marks there, some weight concerns as well. But I would say him, Torrance, Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame, probably some of the you know borderline first round candidates, uh, Darnell Wright as well. Uh, down in Mobile. Uh, you don't uh, you don't consider uh, obviously Darnell a slam dunk first rounder, right? No, he's probably a bit more borderline, but I wouldn't be surprised if he snuck into the back half of the the first round. Okay, uh, real quick uh, thoughts on some corners down there. Yeah, the cornerback group was interesting as well, and there is no no one quite like Tariq Woolen the way that he impressed last year in the senior bowl. And of course in Seattle this year, but Julius Brents from Kansas state might be the closest thing. A guy that's six, three, 200 plus pounds, incredible length. And I thought he did a great job uh, with his physicality um, and, 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 you know, being able to stay in phase and attack at the top of the route. He was a guy that I thought had, had a really strong week overall. So Julius Brents, you know, has that rare body type. I think teams look for when you see the success that Tariq Woolen had last year as a, a tall, leaner guy, um, but can turn and run. I don't think Brent is going to run as fast as Woolen did. He's not quite the freak athlete, but I thought just consistently, you know, Brent's competing at the catch point, carrying things vertical, had a good week. What about the Kelly kid? Yeah, Kai Blue Kelly, I thought one of the stars of the week, just every day. And it, it's one thing to have one good practice. A lot of guys have one good practice, but can you stack them? Can you be consistently good? And I thought Kelly was probably one of the, one of the most consistently good players in Mobile, and just in terms of making plays in the football, had a pick six and team the one day, just competitive, uh, competitive and combative, and um, you know a guy that I thought had had a really strong week. I know Tyler Wise is a, is a big fan of his game, uh, and obviously he's the son of uh, uh, got the bloodlines of his dad uh, was the cornerback for for the Buccaneers for several years, and Mike Tomlin even coached uh, that Kelly Kelly's father uh, during his time at uh, at Tampa Bay. So there is there is some links there, right? Yeah, there are definitely some connections there. I think Tyler had talked to him a little bit. I didn't. I did not get a chance to, but I think that uh, that Tyler did. One guy that I liked uh, the secondary group overall impressed me, but uh, Sydney Brown from Illinois. Illinois is like becoming. I don't want to say DBU, but they, they they turn out a lot of good DBs. Kirby Joseph uh, was one last year. Brown's a guy that played safety, slot corner, had six picks last year, undersized but physical. And I thought he just, you know, it, it it's always so tough in these one v ones. I think sometimes. Uh, draft Twitter gets a little too overhyped when a receiver runs a great route in these moments because it's like, yeah, it's 1v1. There's no pass rush all to. the time in yeah. space. Yeah, they're going to win these routes. But whenever I see defenders make plays in these offensively slanted drills, I really take notice to that. And Brown was a guy, even against tight ends, as they were doing some of the 1v1s, it'd be outside corners against outside receivers and then slot guys, the safeties against tight ends. And Brown is not a big guy. He's not very tall, not very long, but he was competing against some of these tight ends, a great technician. Um, physical downhill 
plays with him. Max effort kind of guy and a good guy to talk to. And he's going to do well in interviews whenever he uh, speaks with teams. And so um, he's not going to be a, a day one guy, potentially maybe, I don't know, third round type of guy. But uh, you want guys like Sidney Brown on your team. Michael Wilson out of Stanford. Was that the best wide receiver down there? I thought he had the best game in the actual game uh, on on what was that uh, Saturday? I don't know if he was the best receiver, you know, overall. I thought Jaden Reed from Michigan State, another one of Tyler Wise's guys. I thought uh, Dontavian Wicks on the final day was the best receiver, but I thought in the actual game, Wilson probably was certainly the most productive, but probably also the best player. All right. Once again, we're going to be talking uh, more in depth here, but you won't get uh, to, to, to turn to speak as much. So I wanted to uh, try to pick <laughs> your brain uh, more than anything here uh, in this podcast before we got to the roundtable uh, podcast. And we'll be we'll be revisiting a lot of these guys are more uh, one final question kind of that I had written down to ask you. Coming out of my, and look, uh, some of these guys that are in Mobile are going to wind up being picked by the Steelers. That's the way it happens, right? You know, uh, yeah. uh, uh, Shrine, uh, Senior Bowl, and maybe even one uh, NFL PA Bowl guy are going to wind up in with the Steelers. That's the way. That's the way they do it. That's the way the history speaks. It might might be an underclassman or two uh, thrown in there on top of it. My question would be. Uh, out of this group uh, 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 of players at Mobile this year, is there one player or is there one or two players that you could really see having a shot at being the 17th overall pick? You know, it's tough. I did my senior bowl mock track. And it, it's still early. I, I mean, sure. I, I, you know, we'll, we'll, I mean, we'll quantify this and all that. I mean, I understand, but did you, did you come away with the feeling that, Hey, that guy might be in play at 17 or that guy might be in play at 17. Short answer. No, because I, the senior bowl group was not as top heavy as it usually is in part due to, say, the quarterbacks. This is not the strongest quarterback class ever. Last year, I think it was a stronger group, more senior-laden type group. The top quarterbacks this year are generally all underclassmen. Again, trying to find who are the even, who even the guys that are down there that are like, you know, first half of the first round candidates. And there aren't a ton of them that I can tell as we sit here today on February 6th. It's, it's Cyrus, Osiris Torrance from Florida. It's Darnell Wright uh, from Tennessee, Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame. Those are kind of the names you talk about. And you could see a Torrance or a Wright potentially be one of those guys. If you're making me choose, and I did my senior bowl mock draft, I went with Torrance just trying to find guys that align right. value and, and projection versus some sort of you know potential need. But I didn't necessarily see that guy. Of course, some of the top guys that were invited, initially accepted, ended up backing out at Vaughn Witherspoon, the corner from Illinois. Um, some other names like that did not attend. And so I there, there weren't, there probably won't be a ton of first round picks from this class. Uh, you know, group, group, group of guys down in, in, in Mobile for the Senior Bowl, but there's going to be good depth. I think a lot of you know day two guys are going to present a lot of value to their teams in year number one. All right. So if you uh, had to make a bet right now, you would say uh, the Steelers, if they stay put at 17, that uh, none of these players uh, from from the Senior Bowl will be the pick. That would be my guess right now. If you made me pick a couple of names to be candidates, it would be Osiris Torrance, the guard from Florida, and probably Darnell Wright, the uh, tackle or guard from from Tennessee. Just a excuse me, quick note on 
One other guy that kind of felt like a stealer to me, not at 17, but Derek Hall, the edge rusher from Auburn, um, squatty, long, sets a physical edge. They were doing some of the 90 uh, on seven uh, run sessions during, I think, the Wednesday practice and all very active, very physical, very downhill. And so that's a guy that has that Steelers type and, and length and size and, and style with SEC production, something like 15 sacks the last two years. That's a guy that kind of just says, He's a Steelers type. Will he be the guy? Who the heck knows? But he's the type of guy they look for on the edge. All right. Anybody else you'd like to quickly uh, cover real quick? Well, not that it matters much from the Steelers pers- uh, perspective, but the running back uh, group was strong. I thought, you know, Kenny McIntosh from Georgia, Spears from Tulane, Eric Gray from Oklahoma, a good pass catching back. So the running back room, I thought, was was impressive down there. Quarterbacks obviously not getting a lot of love. I thought Max Duggan was the best guy during practice in my very brief evaluation of that group this week. Okay. But uh, yeah, Friday, we'll have the rest of the guys. We'll have Tyler Wise and Jonathan Hightritter and Ross McCorkle, and they will uh, give you all their takes on the Senior Bowl. And then Wednesday, the next episode, it'll be the uh, the Shrine Bowl with what uh, Mel and Owen and Josh and the Joes. Uh, who, who are you most interested in tearing into the tape now that you're back? That's a good question. I think next to my list, I claimed before uh, I left for the senior bowl was Anthony Johnson, the corner from Virginia, who had a pick six in that game. Um, I don't think he had, he did not have an especially strong week down in Mobile, kind of a bit too grabby, but a a big physical press type of corner that I want to watch more of. But just, just the interior offensive line, uh, John Michael Schmitz, Tyler Steen, um, those guys. That that Cody Mock's got a lot. That Cody Mock's got a lot of, He's laying on a lot of lot of guys in 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 uh, uh, some of these uh, extended highlight cutups, if you will. Now, albeit it is you know the division that he's in and all, but uh, uh, kind of harken back to uh, a couple years ago when that uh, you know you're looking at the uh, uh, the George Kittle tape and all, and man, he sure was on top. He was bullying a lot of people there at uh, at North Dakota State, and I, I think that's the guy that I came away uh, obviously not knowing a lot about beforehand. And I thought because you hear, okay, you, you, how many times do you hear played tackle? Probably probably going to have to kick inside at guard, and you know you get down to to, to the senior ball and it looks like he's never played guard before, but you still kind of having to try to make that projection. And I'm a small school kid. I was going to stack up against, you know, bigger school competition. Uh, I really came, came away uh, impressed. I think overall, mostly with Cody Mock. Yeah. And listen, the senior bowl has produced a lot of, you know, high draft picks that are small school offense alignment, whether you're talking, not that he was a super high draft pick, but Quinn Miners a couple of years ago, uh, Trevor Penning was the first round pick last year from Northern Iowa. Cole Strange, you know, made his money at the the senior bowl last year from UT Chattanooga, became a late first round pick of the Patriots and had a, had a good rookie season, did well against Cam Hayward. And so, you know, is Cody Mocker first round guy? Eh, probably not, but I think he's the early day two type of guy. Yeah, I want to dig deeper into uh, Henley out of Washington State and his tape, and then uh, the uh, uh, the the defensive uh, uh, the, the South Carolina uh, defensive lineman that you talk about. Yeah, Zach Pickens put another Pickens on this roster. That's a guy I do want to watch more of because again, he's got the body type. He's like six three and a half, close to three hundred pounds, with I think even longer arms than Benton, and so that's a guy that I do want to dig into some more. 
And then the edge guy that, that you uh, notated, uh, uh, who is Hall out of Auburn. Yeah, Derek Hall. Yeah, that's another guy that just kind of checks those boxes in terms of the baseline traits and size and pedigree that, that Mike Tomlin loves. Defensive player first round? Uh, are you asking about like a <laughs> yeah. senior bowl guy? No, just uh, I'm, I'm talking, does it feel like uh, at this point, does it feel like uh, defense first pick? I mean, I think it, it's hard to answer that. I think it just more trenches. And I've said that for a while. That's kind of Andy Wilder's philosophy. It's obviously where this team, you know, has some needs at. So I just, I would say offensive line, defense line, and based on how the board falls, you kind of go from there. Um, but I think certainly the focus will be on the front seven. Okay. What else you got for us? You have a good trip and all? Uh, yeah, good trip. Uh, good food. Ross McCorkle, first time down there. He fit right in with you boys, didn't he? Yeah, he was fantastic and cannot thank him and this crew enough. They they were terrific, um, professional, working extremely hard and just producing a ton of great content. And so um, not just me down there. And again, we'll, we'll talk about those guys more on Friday, talk with those guys on Friday. But uh, the whole team uh, w- was fantastic. All right. Shall we get uh, to a couple of emails here? Haven't done a couple of those in a little bit. Yeah, let's get through some read emails and close out today's show. All right, let's see what's in the old email machine here. Uh, Chris Lookart says, hey, guys, just want to throw the name Tank Dell Jr. from uh, Houston, I believe. He says, a friend of mine mentioned him. Now I can't stop looking at his highlights. He's he's little for sure, but his quickness in small spaces, top-end speed, remind me of Deshaun Jackson in his prime. Have you heard of him at all? Uh, he asked, and and, and and the linebacker mentioned in uh, by Alexa and her take really gives me the Ryan Shazier vibes. Uh, I think uh, me and Tom talked about uh, that kid, right, out of Clemson? Oh, was that KJ Henry? Uh, no, was it uh, Sanders? Wasn't it from Arkansas? Drew Sanders? Oh no, no, no! I, I, I she was talking about a different one. Then I, I kept thinking uh, the uh, the guy that uh, uh, Tom and I talked about the other day. That ended up, yeah, you're right. That ended up being the guy out of Arkansas. So, okay, uh, she had talked about a uh, I think a Clemson uh, linebacker yesterday and her terrible take there. Uh, Thought, any early thoughts on Tank Dell Jr.? Yeah, certainly one of the smallest guys there. At, I forget how tall he was, but he weighed in a buck sixty-three. I saw Tyler Weiss. I think spoke with him because he was watching the receivers pretty early on. And I was, I talked to Tyler after. I said, "Who was that guy you were talking to? That really small guy?" And kind of had to think about it for a second. I went, "Oh yeah, that, that's Tank Dell." And really quick, I mean, could not be touched. You know, obviously, what he can do post catch, the the explosiveness. It's impressive. A little hard to judge those guys in some of these non-tackling situations because a small guy that's quick and fast is going to look quick and fast when nobody can actually tackle him. Um, so it's a little tough to judge. I thought he, I was hoping his weight would come in a bit higher. You know, you see Zay Flowers at the Shrine game was listed 172, came in, I think, 182. So he's adding some weight, which is going to be good for him. Dell did not add weight. He was listed 165, came in 163. And so you kind of worry about that. Um, but listen, I think what Tutu Atwell got drafted in like the second round of, at a buck 49 a year or two ago. So it's not a, a deal breaker for Dell, but certainly uh, one of the more fun players to watch on tape. All right. I think Alexa was talking about Trenton Simpson. Then. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got you. Uh, okay. Let's see here. What else do we have in the email machine? Uh, long time. First time from Grant Northway. Uh, what year did Dave start doing the podcast? I think I've been listening since I got my first desk job in 2012, fresh out of college and I've never missed an episode. He says, I make my two and a half year 
your old son listened with me and I referred to you as Uncle Dave and Cousin Alex. <laughs> uh, he gets to pick out which terrible uh, towel he wants to wave each Sunday with the Steelers gear on. He says, uh, if brainwashing a child into a favorite football team were legal, I'd be on death row uh, if it was illegal. He says, I appreciate the knowledge and passion you guys have for the job. Grant, thanks for uh, the first time, uh, long time there. Yeah, what, uh, 2010, right? Was that when you started? I'm not, yeah. I'm, I wasn't around for the very beginnings yeah. of that. But what was um, what was your first episode about? I mean, was that in season, or was, I, when, did, when did you start the first episode? I don't. I can't. Even, I'd have to go back and look. Did we go I, back and look right now? Nah, probably not. In the archives. <laughs> let's go. Let's go back and look. But uh, I'll, while you find that, I'll uh, I'll I'll move on to the next podcast here. Uh, not po- podcast, uh, uh, the next email here. Albie Seaman says, thank you for the great solo podcast on the salary cap. Of course, I heard most of that before listening to prior podcasts throughout the years, but I was never able to put it all together until now. And I listened multiple times and took notes. Thanks again. You guys are always great. Well, I'll be appreciate that. Once again, don't, uh, people don't have to worry. I'm not going to make a habit of doing uh solo podcast like that because, uh, the way that I talk and you know, uh, preparation and uh, have to have to make hard notes for that, which I did. But uh, uh, I'm glad you found that uh, informational there. Jer- Jeremy P. writes in solo podcast episode. Dave, just want to let you know that I found your solo podcast on the state of the Steelers salary cap. Very informative and helpful. It's obvious how much time you put into learning not only the cap, but how the Steelers like to navigate within the structure of the cap. Thanks for giving us a realistic preview of what uh, to possibly expect this coming off season. Great work as always by you and your team, uh, Jeremy uh, from uh, Akron, Ohio. Jeremy, I appreciate that. Once again, uh, I, I, I didn't know how that would go over. I wanted to kind of use it more as an educational tool to, to go a little bit deeper than things that we normally don't uh, cover. And uh, sounds like maybe I accomplished that. Uh, Adam guest writes in re-upping this now that uh, Brad Spielberger from PFF released his contract projections. There's often some misses on that, but uh, he's often accurate. He says he projects Isaiah Wynn to get a two-year, $21 million deal close to what uh, we owe Chooks over the next two years and Caleb McGarry to get a four-year, $52 million uh, deal. Again, both seem like significant upgrades. Why is it a foregone conclusion that Chooks comes back? Uh, I wrote about Chooks uh, uh, in a post the other day about the cost to cut and everything because there's a lot of people hollering that they want uh, Chukwama Okorafor out the door. Uh, Adam, I don't know if you've gone to the site and read that. I I, I, I highly suggest that you do. And look, I, I get people, uh, Chooks is not going to be mentioned, you know, top, you know, eight, nine, ten, maybe even uh, right tackles in the league. But I, I think he showed he was serviceable. I think the Steelers are comfortable with him at the number that he's at right now. And and long story short, uh, you know, I I'll be surprised if Chukwuma Okorafor is not on this roster March fifteenth. Yeah, if they're gonna. I mean, with just the whole idea of if you, if you lose him, you're putting in somebody brand new. Brand new, you have a big hole there. There's no other replacement. You know, I'm not the biggest core for fan in the world, but he was not a liability last year, and he's not a weakling that you feel like you have to to upgrade to the point that you're going to cut him. So I, I just would be surprised if that was the path this team took. Right, and you know, I 
when I, I don't see when is landing in Pittsburgh, especially on two years, 21 million. Uh, same with McGarry at this point, man. Uh, you get past March 15th and that roster bonus is due for, uh, five days later for a core four and free agency is only five days old at that point. And obviously the draft hasn't happened. Once again, uh, I will be surprised if, uh, if, 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 if Chiquama's out the door on March 15th, I really will be. And I think you will be as well. Right, Alex? I would. Yes. Uh, let us go. Did you find the first episode there? November 22nd, 2010 at 12.33 p.m. It went, went up. You said uh, you hope it would be a long-running Steelers podcast for Steelers fans to listen to, and you can download it to your iPod or MP3 player Ooh-wee. and listen every time. That's how far back it was, but there was episode number one. All right. Uh, Ronald Hall, right? Or let's see. Uh, Thomas uh, Dolinger writes in. Good morning, uh, Dave. I'm a regular listen- listener to your podcast, and I think you and Alex provide the best and most objective coverage of the Steelers. Thank you for that. I thoroughly enjoyed and actually understood your podcast on the salary cap. I have one question for you, please. What is the likely impact to to uh, the 16 million available? Should the Steelers extend Highsmith? And sign Sutton, Terrell Edmonds, and Ogan Joby. I don't think there is much left, right? He says, if I understood uh, you correctly, the only guy uh, that is in your numbers is Highsmith, albeit at at current contract. Uh, as an aside, I understand your logic on Mitch, but if I'm correct on my comments above, you almost have to release Mitch to free up salary cap space for other needs. Look, uh, uh, as I said before, uh, Art Rooney II spoke. I guess about a week ago or whenever that was a little bit more than a week ago. Uh, I really envision Mitch possibly being a casualty by March 15th, but here, here aren't Rooney the second talk. He's going to be on this roster at least past March 15th. That's, that's the way you feel now as well too. Right, Alex. I do. I was thinking a bit and I listened to, to only the first half of the podcast. I apologize. Uh, the solo uh, podcast that you did. And I was thinking about, okay, cutting Mitch would have saved 8 million. Per, right, right. Before displacement, whatever you want, right. however you want to frame it. Um, where else could they get eight million dollars from? What about Miles Jack? And we've discussed mm-hmm. him before. We both kind of been on the idea of, ah, eh, well, yeah, unlikely because they're going to lose other guys. They don't want to like eliminate their entire room. But if they're keeping Trubisky and still want to free up eight million, the numbers are kind of speaking to me a little bit. Sure. Look, and I left it in that podcast in the back end. I don't think he's going to be out the door on March fifteenth, but uh, I wouldn't bet my house. On- on him staying either. I mean, he's definitely has to be a guy that, that has to seriously be looked at, I think. Yeah. And again, it's just funny to see the numbers, how it matches up. If, if they're hell bent on keeping Trubisky and still want to free up 8 million, that's a way to go about it. Now, again, that leads a big void there. You'd have to feel like you're confident in at least resigning Robert Splane and also be comfortable with a Mark Robinson and certainly add to probably a bid in for agency and through the draft. But Something to watch. It's one of those guys where I'm really not sure which way it's going to go. And as far as the likely impact, uh, you know, as far as Highsmith and and, and Sutton, uh, Edmonds, I don't think is going to. If they re-sign Edmonds, I don't think it's uh, it'll it'll impact uh, their cap number two terribly much based on what I would expect that 2023 uh, number to be. I mean, obviously, it will use up. Uh, uh, a little bit more than, than the bottom 50, uh, than, you know, whoever's number 51, uh, in the, in the top 51 at the time. But I, I, I can't, I can't see them, you know, 
that the Edmonds contract being an, an albatross around their neck. Uh, Sutton and Highsmith, those are, those are obviously the ones to watch overall. Now, remember, Highsmith is is currently on the books for something like, what, $2.7 million. So could you get a deal done with him with maybe his first-year cap hits around – I don't know. Let, 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 let's let's throw out a, a let's throw out I don't know seven million just as 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 a rough number there. Well, you're all, you're using up about five million there. Uh, what, Sutton, you know what's Sutton going to come in at? I, I would think if they sign Sutton to a deal, uh, it, it 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 would potentially come in maybe right around. I don't know what what I say twelve to fourteen to fifteen something around mm-hmm. there million per year and also once again your your first year number uh, because of the signing bonus and and the first year salary probably being low you got to get him his cash flow uh, once again you know the net impact of it uh, in two thousand twenty and and I haven't even laid out the contract yet that's going to be part of content later on in the offseason let's say that cap number is like six million dollars and all so yeah. Uh, you you could potentially depend and look the, the, here's the thing about the Highsmith deal i i if they get something done with him that would be much much later in the offseason i think so uh you'd still have to obviously account and plan for that kind of stuff you know but the Sutton and the Troll Edmonds uh contracts would be the I would think the highest priority here at the start of the new league year. What's going to happen with Ogan Joby? I think we both agree that eight million per is a little bit too rich for him. Uh, my gut, I, and look, do they might they want Ogan Joby back for the right price? Yeah, I, I think they would. But I just I have this feeling that he's that that I don't know, Alex. I I just got a feeling that Ogan Joby's going to end up elsewhere. Yeah, again, I've been more mixed on him. I don't want to speaking with a high level of confidence, but I've always kind of felt like this was a one-year thing, last second, deal with Chicago fell through, needed a guy, kind of a good opportunity. Pittsburgh needed some help. He needed a place to go after the, the Bears deal didn't happen. And that this was not a, a long-term commitment. And it's not like Ogunjobi's play was so overwhelmingly good to compel this team to keep him. He had his moments, but one and a half sacks, a toe injury, another year older. Do you want to commit long-term deal? You know, decent amount of money to that. I'm I'm not in that camp. And Thomas, once again, you know that 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 kind of number that I threw out there of of 16 million to work with uh, overall is based on the way I have mapped out the way that I think the Steelers will go. Uh, Alex, you know, just brought up Mitch Trubisky and Miles Jack again. Obviously, my current projections have both those guys at least making it past March 15th. Could that change? Absolutely, it could. Uh, but just the way I see things right now, I have both those guys still on the roster, at least past March 15th, and possibly even 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 further down the road there. So uh, but but once you get past these these higher priority guys, this this you know, Sutton is has got to be one A, right, Alex? Oh yeah, hundred percent. He is your top priority. I mean, you get past that, then you're you're all, you're already down into the Spillanes, the Edmonds, uh, the Kzs. We'll see what happens with Ogan Joby. There, uh, there's not a lot of guys that are going to uh, the the Zach Gentry's. Which, by the way, Zach, the way the the one we haven't really, I don't think, talked about this. The the, the kind of the takeaway as we sit here right now, based on some interviews that have happened this last week and a half, two weeks, and all. 
Cam Sutton and, and Zach Gentry really made it seem like they're convinced that they'll be back on deals. Yeah, they did. I know Gentry had that interview with some local station back in his home state of New Mexico, but what are the, I wonder what they base those things off of. Is it just like trying to, to speak it into existence or put a little public pressure or leverage? I kind of felt like Gentry was a little surprised or kind of like caught off guard by the exact question. So he just kind of tried to answer it the best that he could. I just, I mean, who the heck knows? It's kind of right. one of those things. You never know what a team is thinking. And even if a team wants you back, do they want you back at the number that you want? They might want you back, but for half the salary that you want and, and deals fall through all the time because of just financial discussions. As I've said all along, this team will be able to do what they want to do. I don't think they're going to go hog wild in, in, in outside free agency. Uh, there will be a handful of guys that they sign from the outside. They always do, but I don't think we're talking about, you know, um, um, uh, guys with, with, with big deals. Let me let me put you on the spot here for a second, Dave. I know that you just said, and I understand and, and largely agree that you expect Mitch Trubisky and Miles Jack to be with the Steelers through at least March fifteenth, correct? Right. Which guy is more likely to be cut before March fifteenth? If you had to pick one of the two, Trubisky or Jack, which is the more likely cap casualty? Well, based only on what what uh, what Art Rooney the second said, I, I would have to go with Miles Jack because uh, it it sure felt like Art Rooney II expects Mitch Trubisky to be on this roster. I'm with you. Do you agree with that? Do you think that Trubisky is worth keeping at his salary? I don't know. I'm with you. I, I, I understand why they would, uh, but I, I, I'm not, I'm not a fan of it, but we'll see if what Rooney Usually when Rooney says something like that, though, right? I mean, oh, yeah, no, I'm expecting him to be a stealer. And that's why I, that was, again, like I said, the most notable thing Rooney said in his whole like media tour that he did uh, two weeks ago. But is it the right decision? I don't feel like it is, but I would understand why, why they would, I guess. I wouldn't like it, but yeah, they want the veteran insurance guy who's been in the system and they, they gutted their whole quarterback room next year. They don't want to have to gut their whole quarterback room right. again, besides Pickett, Um, and then because they're losing Rudolph and they don't want to lose Trubisky and then just have to rebuild this whole thing back up. Right. So, uh, I, you know, just, uh, go back to the question that you asked based on what Rooney said it, I, I, I would choose Jack as the most likely to, to not be there. Fair enough. Uh, Ronald Hall. Hi, Dave. Great breakdown on the Steelers salary cap situation on Wednesday's podcast. I really enjoyed listening to your breakdown and learned a lot and great job holding down the Ford all week. Couple of questions for you. And I apologize if you covered it. I missed it. Rollovers. He says, are there a limit? Are there limits to how much a team can roll over from one year to the next? I don't believe there is. They can roll over the whole kit caboodle, uh, if, 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 if they really want to. And some, some teams are going to roll over a lot, a lot of money. Uh, left over. Uh, the Steelers number is just under, uh, un- under five, uh, five millionaire. And, and, you know, I, I would expect them to, to obviously roll that full, full amount over. He says, number two, is there a minimum amount a team must spend? If so, is that based on the percentage of a- 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 annual salary cap? Uh, this is something that we've talked about several times in, in bits and pieces. I could dedicate a whole nother podcast to this, but in short, I think the new rule in the CBA is that in a three-year span of time, 
which I think they're in uh, the, this first span is 2021, 2022. And I, uh, I think 2000, or is it 2020? I, I can't remember the span, but in a three-year span, a designated three-year span in the CBA, teams must spend 90% of the total salary cap number all three, whatever the salary, the league salary cap number is for those three years combined, teams must spend 90% of that in cash payouts to players. Okay. Uh, so they can go, they can, they can uh, be chintzy and not hit the 90% number in the first two years of that three year span. But, uh, but come the end of that three year span, they better have spent 90% of the total salary cap number of those three years in cash and what qualifies as cash. Okay. Obviously a player's base salary, any incentives, any, any, any roster bonuses, workout bonus, and more, uh, more significantly, if you give a player a, let's say a $25 million signing bonus in one year, that counts as, as, as cash in that one year. Okay. For cap purposes, obviously it's spread out for how many years, uh, the, uh, uh, the remaining years of the contract is, but, uh, the key takeaway is here is teams must spend 90% of the total amount of salary cap in cash over a three year span. So that 25 million would count in full for that year for a signing bonus, correct? Right for whatever year you're in, it was but given, yeah. but but you're talking about a three year combined thing here. Sure. No, I'm just clarifying that right. that was just for that particular year that it was it was given out. So and and that's probably why there is no limit on the rollover because teams really couldn't consistently roll over insane amounts of money every single year because eventually they would have to be they would be forced to spend that amount of money. Correct. No, they have to. If if they choose not to roll over, then then that that's their own fault. No, no, I'm saying the question was about are there limits to rolling over? Oh, yeah, they, they, they want to allow them to roll over. The NFLPA wants them to spend that money. <laughs> well, that, but I was saying the reason why there probably isn't a limit, because I, I think maybe one thought is teams might abuse that by trying to roll over obscene amounts of money over a given period of, of time. And that probably that probably is less of a concern because eventually right. teams will they have, have to, to spend, spend that rollover it. money. They can't just keep rolling it over and eventually just have like a hundred million dollars to rolling over because you got to eventually spend that money up to 90%. Right. You got to spend that in cash at some point. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. So that, that's uh, my thought. Okay. Sean, Sean writes in, uh, I am fascinated by the cap numbers and all that goes into it. And there's never enough time during a normal podcast to get in depth like you did on your solo podcast, given the agenda you and Alex need to go through. Just wanted to email you and tell you, I absolutely loved it and made it and made it to the end and wish it could have been two hours longer. Uh, great job. Uh, uh, Sean, thanks. Uh, thanks for that email, Sean. Uh, let's see if, uh, got, you gotta do uh, more of these, Dave, you gotta have more. The, the solo podcast. No, nah, Ron Reagan even writes in. Uh, I'm a longtime Steelers fan since 74. When I started working for Pittsburgh, a Pittsburgh based company, I never followed the draft, but after listening to your explanations and prognostications, I'm going to try to be more engaged with the process this year. Thanks for the clear explanation. I think he meant, uh, not draft, but, uh, the, uh, the cap, uh, he says, uh, 
Uh, thanks for the clear explana explanation in your podcast of the variables that impact the salary cap. I would appreciate it if you could go over again the details surrounding roster displacement, perhaps with an additional example or two. Thanks to you and Alex for an excellent podcast and takes throughout the season. This is my first year listening, and you taught me a great deal. Thanks for that. Ron, I'm probably going to have a post on this at some point, kind of further uh, talking about roster displacement. We're already an hour and 45 minutes into this podcast and, and I don't want to, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, uh, when it, when it, when it, when it comes to that, but, uh, uh, I'll make sure at some point to, to talk about roster displacement in the top 51 more, more in depth there. Dave, I know honest, earnest suggestion, and I know you're immediately going to make a joke and shoot this down, but, uh, email, email Dave. If you agree with me here, guys, you got to write a book on the cap. And I know that you writing and that whole thing will get a good editor, but you can take some of the posts you've already kind of written over the over the years. I think if you wrote a book on like the cap for dummies or something maybe higher brow than that, but just something that is a good because there's no there's nothing out there on like good clear the, explainers. The, the, cap, the, the, cap, the cap, the cap, the cap, and you, the, the cap, the, and you, the, the cap written by a dummy. Is that you no, tried, no, uh, no, 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 no? But I think if you wrote a book on the salary cap explaining how the NFL works. I think people would buy that. So if you if you support this idea, email the podcast that I would buy that book by Dave Bryant. My God, I'd have to uh, everything I'd earn from it. I'd have to give to Scott Brown for editing it. <laughs> <laughs> the labor of love, but uh, I, I like talking about it. I like I like I like writing about it in pieces, like I do, uh, uh, you know, on, on the site and post. Uh, and I explained early on in 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 in, in that podcast last week of why it's kind of become you know, my fascination with it. And, you know, if you would have known me uh, when I got into high school, I mean, I was, I was that kid that was, I was fine with the multiple, uh, multiple case, you know, cation tables and times tables and, 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 and all like that basic math through grade school and all. But man, when I got into, uh, uh, high school and, and, and I hit, uh, geometry and algebra and marijuana and girls, <laughs> uh, uh, my, my love of, of, of that kind of math went out the door. But I mean, uh, I explained, you know, I've, I've always been fascinated with the cap and the components of it and used to try to back, you know, you know, re, re, re uh, reverse engineer contracts, just going off of numbers in, in, in the USA today, the way they print them out all like that. But, uh, uh, I, I, I do enjoy it, but I mean, I'll, I'll gladly read your emails of suggesting that I write a book on it, but we'll see. Never, never I'm say gonna, never. Right. I'm going to, there you go. I'm going to keep pushing. All right. Uh, one more SD teams. What are your thoughts on the two round gap between picks in this year's draft? Do you think they will make a move to address it? And if so, how I think that uh, the 32nd pick is a great place to make a move for more picks. Look, uh, that's going to be the question we'll answer in different forms and throughout the off season, uh, Ian, uh, you know, Alex, you know, you, you talked quite a bit about Andy Weidel and I think you even had a, had a terrible take recently about first drafts, right. And m maybe the prospects are moving up and down. Uh, I think it's been a while since I recorded those. I'm trying to think back. I mean, it's possible. And obviously when you have that big gap there, you go from fourth round and no pick again until the seventh round. That was in what the Malik Reed deal. What did they lose the other pick? Is that Jesse Davis? No, that wasn't Jesse Davis. That was a future pick years from now. I think what did they lose their picks from? They lost the, the sixth to Malik Reed. What was the other? 
Uh, what was it? I'll have to go. It doesn't matter, I guess. But anyway, you have that big gap there. Obviously, there's a thought to maybe trade down, but you know, the idea of trading down or the actual, do you pull the trigger on that stuff? You don't know that until basically you're in that position until it's draft weekend. It's you're on the clock, you know, your, your, your picks coming up. It is nice having that top pick in the second round, because once the first round ends, you know, there's that day in between from day one and day two, where you can feel calls, evaluate things, talk it over as a staff. It's not as chaotic where you're trying to make these decisions in the middle of a draft. And so that does present a good opportunity to trade down, but you never know until you're on the clock, you know what you've taken, you know what the board looks like, what your offers are and all those other variables. So it's very, nothing's going to happen until you basically draft day. Man, I really like where their first four picks are, man, from where we sit. And I guess uh, uh, to move, I would have, I would maybe give up one of those to maybe move up somewhere in w- one of those first three picks, I guess, uh, something along those lines. But, but man, this assuming this team isn't very active in free agency, uh, you know, with, 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 with bigger, you know, names, long time, long-term starter type guys, uh, they they got to nail this, man. Uh, they they've got to get some impact players out of this thing, and I think where where they stand right now, especially with the first three picks, I think they can do that. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, they could. And if they're trading at thirty two, it may be you go back three four spots and pick up a fifth, and you know it's not going to change sure. your standing dramatically. But it may not have to be that. It could be you could trade your fourth round pick and turn that into a fifth and a sixth. You know, there's a million ways you could. You could do this thing, but certainly there is a gap there that's noticeable. And if you want to talk about potential movement to try to not try to bridge that gap, that's certainly the the, the best place to start. Look, uh, it, it would be very uh, it would be right for us to sit here at any point and say there's no way they're trading up or down in this year's draft. No, we're, we're not going to do that. But in the same breath, I mean, we'll get we'll get asked this you know several times throughout the process. We don't know what they're going to do, and it it it's it's really 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 hard to predict whether they will or won't you know at any point move up or down. It's just one of those things that yeah, I, I the safest way to do it is just work around the picks that they have and 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 try to slot players within certain groups. Maybe that if they did trade up or down a certain certain you know in, in a round a certain amount of picks that. It would be for a certain group of, 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 of players in that group. Yeah, so we'll see. All discussions to have uh, much further into the offseason. All right. Uh, we've answered quite a few of those. We're, we're already over an hour and 45 minutes. We probably thought, Alex probably thought we'd get this done in an hour and 15 minutes today. But I uh, appreciate all the great feedback uh, from uh, from the solo uh, uh, salary cap podcast. Uh, we've got a big week ahead for you. We probably some longer podcasts too on top of it because we're going to have the, the Shrine Bowl uh, Roundtable podcast on Wednesday and then the Senior Bowl uh, uh, Roundtable podcast on Friday. I can't wait for those because I'll, I, you know, I will have learned a little bit more by then and I will learn a lot during both those podcasts as well. Yeah, those are going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to talk to everyone, especially for myself, because I didn't focus on the Shrine Bowl too much getting ready and then being at the the Senior Bowl. So I'm really excited for Wednesday's episode personally. All right. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Steeders Depot. Follow Alex on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, the Terrible Podcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, please go to SteedersDepot.com. Hit the donate button upright navigational bar. Uh, that helps us cover 
some of the, we had a lot of cost involved in this. It's not cheap to send people on uh, other ends of the world there to cover this and put them up in hotels and all like that. But if you want to help, help with the cause, feel free to do so. Steelersdepot.com, hit the donate button, upright navigational bar. Also, if you'd like an ad-free version of the site, you can go to Steelersdepot.com, hit the ad-free button, upright navigational bar as well. So uh, excited about the rest of the week as far as this podcast goes. And until Wednesday, as always, thanks for listening to the Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex. 